living inside one of the camp. We did not expect to be here for five years. We thought maybe six months or a year that we have been here for so long now. When the violence first began in Rakhine State in 2012, around 140,000 people, mainly Muslim Rohingya, were moved to internally displaced persons camps. They believed they would only be there for a matter of months. More than five years later, the vast majority remain in camps without access to healthcare, education and livelihoods, and hope is dwindling that they'll ever return home. Like many of those displaced, before the fighting, Umong Tin Lying lived in downtown Sitwe, the state capital, which has much changed since the violence. Dotted around the town are several abandoned mosques, decrepit and mildewed from a lack of attention. Once home to a people of a variety of religions, there are no longer any Muslims moving freely in Sitwe. At the town's market, several residents told us that trade has slowed significantly since 2012. Umong Shui A has run a small shop in Sitwe Market for 16 years. He told us that before 2012, trade was good, with many Muslims in Rakhine working and living peacefully side by side. Now there are no Muslims at the market. We have less and less customers. The Muslims used to work as farmers or fishermen or the old shops in the market. Despite the economic impact, Umong Shui A said he couldn't see a time when the communities could live side by side again. It was a sentiment echoed by several other Rakhine we spoke to in and around Sitwe. What we saw in 2012 was that both sides were really ready to hurt each other and it created a huge distrust between their communities. Even though I have Muslim friends living in the camps, I don't think there's enough trust for the two communities to live side by side again. Although the majority of those displaced in 2012 were Muslim, some belonged to the Rakhine community. However, unlike the Muslim population, the displaced Rakhine are able to move freely and have access to basic services. Ma King Wei an ethnic Rakhine, was displaced to a camp on Sitwe's outskirts. She told us that her auntie had been killed in violence between Rakhine and Muslims almost 20 years ago, and she didn't think the two communities could live side by side again. Honestly, what I want the government to do is to send the Muslims back to the original place. This is our land and water, and we want to live here. Whenever we are asked if we want to live with them again, we say we don't want it to happen. The lack of integration is a major barrier to building trust between the communities. The government, led by Aung San Suu Kyi, has said it's working for peace and development in order to bring stability to the state. But their plans have not been well communicated, either to the media or the public at large. In July, Frontier traveled to Rakhine State as part of a government-sponsored trip. The visit included a meeting with senior officials from the Rakhine State government, including Chief Minister Un Yipu. The government is planning to bring peaceful coexistence between the communities and also bring development between the two communities to return to the normal situation. But unexpectedly, the violence happened in October, which made the process difficult. But the government is planning to continue these activities to bring peaceful coexistence between these communities. Frontier asked the chief minister if he could provide specific details on the plans for peace and development in Rakhine. This is the planning time to continue the government process to get the situation back to normal. 
But for the time being, the government hasn't made the main objective of their plans. However, independent analyst David Matheson said little progress has been made in Rakhine. The situation in Rakhine states as bad as it's been for a very long time. Um, in terms of humanitarian human rights issues, uh, it's about as bad as it gets in the country. Um, we still have 110,000 people internally displaced in camps in, in uh, northern Rakhine around Sitway. And in the past several months, there's been an uptick in violence in, um, in uh, northern Rakhine State and Mongdor Township. Denied access to citizenship, tens of thousands of Muslims cannot leave the camps or villages where they live, meaning they have no access to basic services, including healthcare and education. And what we've essentially found is that the restrictions on movement uh, extend beyond the camps. Laura Hay, Amnesty International's Myanmar researcher. There are people in villages that they essentially can't leave. Um, that's in part because of government-imposed restrictions, in part because of community-imposed restrictions. But this has a cascade of negative effects for them. So you can't uh, leave your village to work. You know, you can't go to your fields. You can't leave. Um, you can't work in the or fish in the rivers beyond your your immediate area. It also means that for for kids just to go to school. I mean, where is your nearest school? How can you get there? So you have a a whole generation of kids almost who are just not getting the education they need. And then there's also huge problems with access to healthcare. You know, if you can't go to your local town, how do you get to your nearest hospital? Your only option is to go to Sitway Hospital. That requires permission. So it just barrier after barrier is put before these communities in order just to access the basic services that you or I would just take for granted. On healthcare, a major issue is for pregnant women receiving treatment inside the camps said Kin Mimi Tun, a response officer for the International Rescue Committee. So if, if a pregnant woman wants to go to the hospital, they go to the health centre in the camp and are referred to Sidri Hospital. Even there, they can face discrimination. If a pregnant woman is in an emergency at night time, often they cannot go to the hospital. There is only a nurse at the health centre. If that happens, the nurse calls an ambulance to take the woman to the hospital. But what if the car is late or the nurse is not available? It is often the case that women die. The car is late or the midwife is not okay, she's died. Many of those living inside the camps do so in small bamboo shacks, while many homes are little more than a piece of tarpaulin held up by a bamboo pole. Mark Cutts, the Myanmar head of the United Nations Office for Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, said that the conditions in the camps are in many ways worse than they were a few years ago. You know, these, these buildings are constantly in need of repair because they're, they're substandard buildings that were not uh, built to, you know, for long-term accommodation and they're being used for fairly long-term accommodation. Now, they've been there five years. The government have said to us recently that they hope to have solutions for all these people within the next five years. That means some of these people might be in these camps for you know, up to 10 years, who knows if they even will find solutions for all those people in that time. Uh, we're talking about, you know, a, a long period of time and these buildings are simply, you know, not really um, able to withstand these kind of conditions, you know, you know, one rainy season after, after the next. In August 2016, Aung San Suu Kyi formed the Advisory Commission on Rakhine State, headed by former UN Secretary General Kofi Annan. The commission was tasked with finding sustainable solutions to the myriad of problems in Rakhine State. The government has used the commission to shield itself from criticism and says it will follow its recommendations, which are due in the coming weeks. 
In March, the Commission submitted its interim recommendations, which included publishing a Rakhine State Development Plan and preparing a strategy towards closing all IDP camps in the state. But progress has been slow. Kasper Ingborg, head of the United Nations Office for Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs in Rakhine. If we have to look at the situation on the ground, if anything has changed over the last year, the answer is no. Uh, and that's not a speculation, uh, that is a fact. Uh, there has been a lot of talks, there have been a lot of initiatives, but a year after, uh, as we see now, uh, the people uh, affected uh, by the crisis have not seen any change. That goes for the Muslim population as well as it goes for the Rakhine population. The region was plunged further into chaos in October 2016, when suspected Rohingya militants attacked police outposts, killing about a dozen officers. The attacks led to a heavy crackdown by security forces, and the military response, covered with the apparent emergence of a new insurgency, has added fuel to an already volatile part of the country. In next week's episode, we will analyse more deeply the current situation in Northern Rakhine, and ask what measures need to be taken to bring an end to the conflict there. I'm Oliver Slow, reporting for Frontier Myanmar. This podcast was produced by Victoria Milko, with additional reporting by Sue Myatmon.